You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. What's up, people? How are my superstars? This is Dr. Alonso Osorio with episode 54, taking advantage of a few days off to make some nice, juicy material for you all. And... Today is the last part of the experiential podcast series from Alonso Osorio and what has been life in America. So let's talk about medical malpractice insurance. And this is a very interesting topic. Many of you never had to deal with this type of situation ever in your current practice. And this was all new to me 21 years ago when I came to the United States because in Colombia, the practice of medicine was pretty, what could I say, benign, non-toxic, gentle, mild. It was just you went and did what you had to do. And if you made mistakes or errors, you know, people didn't say anything about it. I think things have quite changed and they have become quite aggressive nowadays. And I think so many uh, physicians in Colombia are buying insurance, and this is another situation that they're having to deal with nowadays, which I was not surprised to hear that from some of my colleagues that are still in Colombia and practicing medicine. I know that countries like Australia uh, have some sort of compensation fund, and it's not quite rampant, still could happen, but it's extremely rare. The same goes for Canada. It still could happen, but not to the same standards and the degree of BS that we deal with in America. Let me give you an example and why I do get so frustrated about this whole aspect about medical malpractice insurances. And the reason goes is because one day I met this malpractice attorney and we were talking about stuff. And obviously the whole malpractice uh, liability came along and he said, hey, Dr. Osorio, why do you guys get so worried about a lawsuit? I mean, let me let me tell you this. When, when you doctors wake up every morning, you wake up and you say, okay, I'm going to my shift, my office, my surgical suite, and I'm going to try to help someone fix them. Obviously, you're going to be making a living. And you fix a few people, you heal a few people, you comfort the most, and there you go on with your day, and that's how you make a living. So guess what I do? Every morning, I wake up, I open my eyes, I drink my cup of coffee, and my job is to go and find a new doctor to sue. 
And that's just business, man. You know, you need to eat. I need to eat. I just go and sue you for your mistakes or not. And, or trying to kind of fish around for our mistakes. That's why they call them here in the United States ambulance chasers. And they're just preying on you and making advertisements. And it is rampant here in the United States. It's crazy. It's on the highways. It's everywhere. And Florida is a horrible, horrible practice in litigious environment. I don't know how I have the chance to survive through three years of residency and 11 and a half years of practice in this state, I was remarkably, remarkably fearful of sticking around here. And that's when, when I finished my second residency training in emergency medicine, I headed out to Texas and I was there for, for five years or so. And practicing medicine in Texas is fantastic, fantastic. And many of you, if you're not aware, is the only state in the nation, I think, probably two or three more have something similar in the books that is called the true malpractice tort TRT reform and pretty much they have to prove that you willingly and wantonly wanted to hurt a patient and that's really difficult to be proven and it went all the way at the uh, federal court the supreme court and it just kind of I don't know if I'm saying that precisely, the, the levels of legality that it surpassed, but it's to the point that has been in place now for many years, and it has drastic, drastically, drastically shifted the malpractice environment in the state of Texas. And, and every year, every year since that happened, more and more physicians are flocking to the state of uh, Texas to practice medicine because it's so friendly. Now, this is good, maybe not. I think it's excellent for us, but obviously the burden of complaints that the Texas Medical Board and the uh, Texas Board of Medicine has to deal with on disciplinary action, actions against physicians is, is out of control. So that's a whole nother thing. But but here in, in Florida, guy, gods, uh, is awful. It's it's something that I don't wish anyone to live through. I mean, you're always ordering a bunch of tests that just to literally cover your ass, you know, CYA. And, you know, it's, it's, it's patients are threatening you for that type of a statement. I'm going to sue you and you're an a-hole and you're this and you're that. I'm going to call my attorney. And if you don't give me pain medication, I'm going to do this to you and that. And, oh, my God, Lord Jesus, it's, it's a nightmare. So... Let's let's talk about a little bit of uh, an informatic an informatic um, topic here, which I just want you to get used to what is medical malpractice. And many of you joining the residency program, the hospital, the teaching hospital that you're going to be working with, will be taking care of these malpractice insurance costs, and it's all 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 in there. And there is obviously a chance that you get sued as a resident, and that might be the first time that you get a subpoena uh, citating your name that you've been named in a in a in a in a in a claim, and uh, you're supposed to go and testify and go to court, etc. And believe it or not, nowadays there is programs that are specifically specifically dedicating time to train you to make you aware of what it's like to go through a lawsuit and in my residency program and I think it got better over the years they had this whole one day uh, plenary in which we simulated a courtroom and we just played the good the bad person 
the defendants, uh, the the plaintiff's attorney, and we just play the roles and what it's going to be like, and and it's just as stressful, just to kind of get you used to it. And they say, in average, in in the United States and specifically in Florida, you get sued once about every twenty thousand visits. That probably comes around to every three to four years, depending on the volume of visits that you handle. But in general, that's an average. So if you practice 20 years and you get sued at least once every three to four years, I would say expect to get sued at least once in your career and at the most probably three or four times. I know of a colleague of mine that has been sued seven or eight times, and I think he settled most of them. And and that's a whole different topic that you're going to deal with. There is something called economical and non-economical damages and, and the payments could be way above the caps that the malpractice insurance and the state have uh, settled just at the very beginning. It goes could go into the millions of millions of dollars and, and it's just ridiculous. Uh, I do know of a specific case, uh, a friend of a friend that there was nothing wrong when I hear the story with the proceeding about the physician, but and the child was born with some degree of cerebral palsy. I think the patient's mother was warned about the need of a very narrow pelvis and that she needed to have an stat C-section, and she declined despite the prompt advice of the midwife and the physicians to go ahead and proceed with a C-section delivery, and the mom decided to go and push the baby out. Obviously, There was uh, shoulder dystocia and some complications on the delivery. There was some delay on the expulsion. And I think the kid was born with some sort of uh, nerve palsy. And then further down the road, they did MRIs, CAT scans, and they discovered that he had a brain hemorrhage that probably occurred due to neonatal stress. And well, guess what? Ten years later, they have settled for a large amount of money and... You know, they said that they wanted to pursue this lawsuit just for to to buy the child, you know, the house and make the disability arrangements that they needed. Guess what they did? They get a huge settlement, like seven, ten million dollars. First thing that he goes and does, he buys a huge mansion, like two million dollar mansion. He gets himself a Mercedes and his wife a Beamer and this and that, all these fancy expenses. Do you really in America people I mean, if you screw up, I, I I get it. If you screw up as a doctor, patients deserve it. But in this society with frivolous lawsuits that they only have financial gains and the bar, meaning the attorneys groups, are so powerful, these suckers are so powerful that they, in this state of Florida, they have the power at the political level to lobby and we physicians are really, really stupid. We don't gather together. We don't fight together. And they're extremely powerful. And and you'll see. You'll see whoever comes and works in Florida soon will get exposed and realize how awful the practice environment is here. And I can tell you, I'm going back to Texas. And it's a fact. I submitted my resignation last week. I'm going to Tyler, Texas. Nothing better than Texas. I always wanted to go back to Texas. Uh, I've been looking around to probably land back in the San Antonio market area. Not much around there. So we have made decision to move back to Texas. Here we go, Texas. 
expect me next year 2021 i'm so happy to come back obviously there there are the stresses of now selling my house putting everything on the market saying goodbye to my new job wrapping it up and moving to another state and and it's going to be a transitioning process of several months in which i'm going to be in between here and there until my kid finally wrap it up during the summer at school Anyway, let's get back to the medical malpractice insurance topic. I just wanted to kind of catch up on that. I hope you guys are enjoying everything. Leave me feedback. Remember, go to uh, iTunes. Leave me a five-star review if I deserve so. And, and give me give me a little, a little message. Send it. Let me know that you care and that I'm doing a good job at this or not, etc. But just if you really care, please share it because sharing is caring. So what is medical malpractice insurance? In America, it's a specialized type of professional liability insurance that covers physicians from any liability arising from disputed services that results in a patient's injury or death. Medical liability is required in almost all states and most medical systems as a requirement to practice medicine. Malpractice insurance is usually, usually available through traditional insurance carriers or from a medical risk retention group, which is a mutual organization of medical professionals, like my current group, that they gather together and they organize to provide a liability insurance to protect their own doctors. Additionally, some very large medical systems might be self-insured, uh, insured, which means that instead of purchasing a commercial insurance, a medical liability trust fund was created or is created that will be used to pay for the defense of malpractice claims and any resulting judgments against their own physicians. Although it's possible for smaller medical groups and practices to self-insure, there are significant legal and business obstacles that make this a difficult option for most of us. Individual and group malpractice coverage plans are available for those both in independent or small practices. For employed physicians, medical liability coverage is typically offered as part of a group plan purchased by the employing hospital or health system. In example, in my previous employer, I worked for a private medical group, but we decided to go with the malpractice insurance carrier coverage offered by the larger healthcare system. And it worked out actually, I think, really well. The problem is that it was covering the physician, it's covering the hospital, and sometimes, you know, it's... Let's not go into the technicalities, but sometimes they just agree on settling and, and, and you don't even have the option to, to defend yourself. They just settle on your behalf. They don't want to go through the hassles of paying attorney's fees and years of fights. They just want to settle and get it over with and next and move on. They don't want to have something just dragging around for seven, ten years until finally a decision gets taken care of. Let's talk about the optimal type and amount of insurance. Uh, well, in this case, you need to meet your state's malpractice insurance minimum requirements, and this changes state by state. And for adequate personal and practice asset protection, you may also be really careful because this may vary significantly based on your individual circumstances. Therefore, it is essential to confer with a professional medical insurance consultant or an institutional risk manager to determine the appropriate type of um, an amount of coverage for your particular practice situations. And when I'm, you know, it's either private practice, uh, individual, uh, or 
multi-specialty clinic or you know a group practice or you do you belong to a large hospital system so i know that that probably you won't care about this but just kind of look at the malpractice insurance uh uh, documentation that you're going to be completing as you start your residency program. And as soon as you finish your residency program, also look at where you're going to be signing when you find your first contract, because there are, in summary, two types of malpractice insurance policies. One of them is what we call the claims made and the occurrence made. A claims made policy, let's talk about that one first, will only provide coverage if the policy is in effect both when the incident took place and when the lawsuit is filed. You follow me? So let's say you're working, you have a policy, it's filed within the time range, you still have it active, you will be covered. As you can see, you'll be covered during that period, but if you're, you're way past that, then you need what is called the tail. As you can see it, this requires that coverage max extend for a significant period of time to provide adequate protection since a considerable amount of uh, time always elapses in between when the incident happened and they might have occurred and when the claim is made. Sometimes they have something that is called a discoverable period, which is the time, I think it's two years in the state of Florida, that they have to be notified or realize that the physician made a mistake. And, and that that's a sketchy game also that attorneys play, oh, I didn't really discover it six months ago um, um, and it was, I don't know, but usually they just submit the lawsuit a day or two before the, the that time frame expires and you get nailed with the, with the subpoena. They usually come to you, a process server come to, comes to your house, knocks on the door and delivers you this awful paper and you're like, oh, dang it. Or did you just send it with certified mail or uh, a process server just delivers that to your practice group or your hospital or simply they just walk into your office and they just give it to your face and make you sign for it. So because of that, some claims made policies are written to provide a period of coverage referred to as detail. That extends for a set amount of time, usually five years after the, the policy ends. If not offered as a part of the original policy, tail coverage might be also be purchased. The cost of tail insurance is typically one time assessment that can be as much as one and a half to two times the typical annual malpractice insurance premium price. What is tail coverage? However, it is critical in situations where you have been covered with a claims made policy, but you're changing insurance carriers. This is when it's critical. You change insurance, you move to a new position like me right now, I'm going to count on the tail coverage now that I move from one job to another. If you're retiring or if you are insuring continued malpractice coverage during these transition times, for instance, that might have occurred in past years. The cost of tail might be covered by your previous practice to ensure adequate protection of their group assets or by your new practice, either as a benefit or an inducement to join that group. Tell coverage might be an appropriate item of negotiation with any prospective new practice and just make sure that everything is well delineated. And, and as we've spoken before, be sure that you carry those malpractice insurance certificate uh, face sheets with you in an individual folder. So whatever you finish your residency program, go and ask the risk management office or the legal department that you need a copy of the malpractice insurance. You file them. Then you get your first job. Just make sure you get a copy of those. You file them. 
because what happens is on credentialing, they keep asking you for this information. They want to have a record of your malpractice insurance policies, face sheets, so they have it on their records and, and, and you just want to ha ha have them right there. And if you get sued, obviously, you know where to go to. Occurring policies differs a lot from a claims made insurance uh, in that they cover any claim for an event that took place during the period of coverage, even if the claim itself is filed after the policy lapses. In general, this type of policy, what we call the occurrence-based, does not require a tail coverage, but that's why it is usually significantly more expensive and less frequently offered by the employers. I would say in 21 years, I never seen it happening and never seen it offered. Also, it's essential to understand the finer details of your medical malpractice coverage. Policies typically cover a range of expenses associated with defending and settling malpractice suits, including attorney fees, court costs, arbitration and settlement costs, medical damages, and punitive and compensatory managers. But medical malpractice insurance does not cover liability arising from criminal acts or sexual misconduct. Neither will protect you against breaks on the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, what we call the HIPAA. What are arbitration costs? Uh, some, that's a really complicated term. The arbitration costs are the administrative fees that are paid to the American Arbitration Association and the Arbitration Compensation Fund for the expenses that are paid to the arbitrator who decides the case. It includes filing fees and hearing session fees associated with a claim. For example, in there, the expert witness, the travel time, the venue that was used and what uh, that, you know, rented for. And all these party fees are about 83% of the arbit arbitration co cost. The leftover proceedings are used for other procedural fees that are pretty much insignificant, but this expert witness usually get paid out of that big chunk of money. And this expert witness that they kind of call to kind of testify against you, they can be real assholes. They lie to their teeth that they said that they're an expert and obviously that you were an awful physician and, and, and he lies to into your eyes and, and just has rehearsed this over and over and incredibly there is physicians that dedicate their life to make thousands of thousands of dollars physicians you know testifying against good doctors like you and i just don't 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 tell me anything i just feel nauseous from just thinking about it in general well just be careful remember so as i said that's what for medical malpractice, uh, it doesn't cover for criminal acts. So if you're a criminal, you have problems with uh, Medicaid, Medicaid won't take care of you. It won't cover you for any uh, EMTALA violations or any sexual misconducts, uh, you know, sexual abuse, uh, touching a patient inappropriately. That's a whole different civil lawsuit. It is also essential to see the amount of coverage of for each occurrence and all claims that may be made against you. Although some states require minimum amounts of courage for both the amount per each claim and the total of all of the claims that might be made, it is important to discuss the potential need for any additional coverage about these minimum limits with a professional malpractice insurance consultant or an institutional risk manager to ensure that your personal assets are protected. And you want to make sure that 
that that's the case because some of these malpractice attorneys, they don't only, not only go for the money of your insurance, but they want to go after your house, your car, etc. So just make sure that all your assets are protected and, and consult a CPA and get yourself the proper financial advisor so you can actually hide and put everything away from, from these malpractice sharks that want to take leave you on the streets, literally. If you're entering private practice, remember that in addition to medical liability claims, the medical malpractice claims, medical practices also could face, and you could face, potential claims associated with other medically associated risks such as cyber liability and regulatory requirements such as compliance with the HIPAA. As I said, some medical practice policies might cover this type of exposures, but if not, separate policies are available to protect against this risk and are obviously something that you need to look into. And briefly, let's talk about what is a medical negligence and usually falls into three broad categories of medical error. Number one, failure to diagnose. This form of malpractice occurs when a doctor, you and I, fails to diagnose an existing medical condition or diagnoses a medical condition that the patient does not have. Number two, negligent treatment. In these kinds of cases, the doctor rendered negligent treatment to the patient. In other words, the doctor made a mistake that a reasonable, quote, competent doctor, unquote, would have not made. That's when expert witness come and say that you're an awful doctor. And an expert witness in some states don't have to be out of your specialty. Suddenly you're, you're an emergency physician and they bring this crazy surgeon that has, quote, done some emergency work. It is unreal. For those cases, the, the injured patient must prove that um, that the physician actually made a, a mistake. In the emergency uh, setting, is, uh, setting is more complicated because they have to prove that we wanted to willfully and wantonly, uh, in disregard of the patient's medical needs, try to hurt them. And number three, failure to warn. This is consent, etc. That last, this last category of medical malpractice is the failure to warn the patient of the known risk of a procedure. Most treatment courses, and all of them, whether it is surgery, medication, administration, you know, all the medical treatments carry some degree of risk. If you get into cosmetic medicine and you decide to inject fillers, Botox, everything, everything that you do, everything that you say here in America could be used against you. And, and, and they all want is money. So if a doctor fails to obtain the patient's consent to a course of treatment after warning the patient of a known risk, the doctor has committed malpractice if that known risk occurs. Well, some cases will have probable negligence from multiple categories. For instance, if a doctor failed to warn about the possibility of a prescription drug addiction, like if I write a narcotic script and I don't say, hey, dude, if you take this narcotic pain pill, you might get a, become an addict. Oh, yeah, doctor, you never warned me that I shouldn't shoot this through my IV or pop a pill and drive. It's your fault, doctor. And, and then they, they blame you for overprescribing. And now all these uh, drug seekers, drug addicts are coming and finding attorneys that, oh, yeah, it was that first doctor that put me in on those five hydrocodons or oxycodons or or codeines with Tylenol. Those those first 10 days of regimen is what made me an addict. It only takes five to seven days. It was your fault, doctor. You never told me I could become an addict. It is, it is crazy, guys. Crazy. Well, according to a 2013 study, 
published at the British Medical Journal. Failure to diagnose was the largest source of medical malpractice claims. According, it accounts for about 26 to 63% of all the malpractice claim brought against primary care physicians. And researchers found that the most common patient outcome from failure to diagnose errors was death, which occurred 15 to 48% of outcomes recorded in the malpractice claims. Well, talking about Floria, does Floria cap the medical malpractice damages? In the statute, yes. In practice, for now, no. Like many other states, Florida has several laws on the books that limit or cap certain damages that are available to a medical practice plaintiff who has been successful in a lawsuit against a doctor or other healthcare professional. As it is in the most cases, Florida's medical malpractice damages caps apply only to a plaintiff's non-economic damages. That means compensation for things like pain and suffering, mental anguish, anxiety, loss of companionship, scaring, disfigurement, and other subjective losses stemming from the defendant's malpractice could be summed up in there. These caps do not apply to an injured patient's economic damages. In other words, there is no limit on the amount of compensation a medical malpractice plaintiff can recover from past and future medical care necessitated by the malpractice, lost income, lost future earning capacity, and any other measurable economic losses attributable to the defendant's malpractice. This, this crazy state of Florida also utilizes different caps for, for medical practitioners, cases involving errors by doctors and other care providers versus non-practitioning defendants. There is a $500,000 cap on non-economic damages in medical malpractice lawsuits against practitioners, but the cap jumps up to a million if the practice costs debt or a vegetative state. The non-economic damages cap is $750,000 in lawsuits against non-practitioner defenders, but some exceptions are noted in the statute. But the caps set in the statute of Florida were ruled unconstitutional by the Florida Supreme Court in June 2017 decision specifically in a case of uh, North Brower Hospital District versus Calitan, the state highest uh, appellated court decided that these caps arbitrarily reduced damage awards for plaintiffs who suffered the most drastic injuries and struck down any statutory limits on non-economic damages in medical malpractice lawsuits. So friends, my advice... You can go and practice medicine in the beautiful state of Florida. There is nothing bad about it. Everybody wants to come to Florida. Florida is also full of people that are wanted to make it easy. They want to sleep and fall. They want to get into a car crash. They want to get in front of you. They want to be rear-ended. They want to go to the doctor and they want to try to get easy one or $2 million and just live easy life. It's just the way the mentality of, of this country is. Someone has to pay and these patients have no insight or ownership of what they have done to their health and their and what are the consequences for their actions. And guess what? They want you to pay. It's all a business. It's a big, corrupted business. So I don't want to instill fear. I just want you to know what's out there. I've been in practice for 21 years so far. Knock on wood. I'm knocking here on my uh, uh, closet. You hear that? Knock on wood. Uh, hopefully, I will continue to be this way. 
They said medical malpractice lawsuits and claims are one of the most painful and psychologically devastating aspects of a physician's practice. And I hope you never, 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 ever have to deal with any of this. So practice good medicine, train properly, read, stay up to date, and in general, be kind to your patients. That's the only way to protect yourself. Be kind to your patients. Be good to your patients. Develop some decent rapport. Develop some long-term continuity of care. If you want to hell of a primary physician, in my case, I have 30 seconds to establish rapport and make friends and just kind of do good medicine in general. You know, some people are extremely worried about practicing medicine in Florida. The first three months, six months that I was here, I was frozen. I couldn't practice without thinking what could happen, but I still, I come to this day and I'm thinking, okay, this patient came here for X, Y, and Z. What is this patient going to try to sue me for? What is the 10 extreme rare possibilities in my differential diagnosis that could kill this patient? And my chart is full of medical decision rules and documentation and interactions and this and acknowledging every value and, 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 and uncovering and turning every stone and Revaluations, and sometimes you admit someone that doesn't need to be admitted and you're fearful of sending home one with this or X or Y or C condition. That's why many physicians in their personal practice now they're sending everybody to the emergency department because they're just, if it's not a simple call, if it's not a simple issue, they cannot take care of nothing. And, and that's really sad. This malpractice environment has just led, I think, in in general to, to a more expensive healthcare system and a more defensive practice of medicine that just keeps driving the cost higher and higher and higher. Well, I hope you got a little bit of uh, an understanding on what you're, you're going to be facing here in the U.S. I appreciate that you're tuning in again. We're going to wrap it up with episode 55, I hope, and maybe try to wrap it up with either Miss Barbara Bretto or Julio Rodriguez with the English coach by the end of the year. New things, fun things are coming for 2021. I really want to thank you for following me up. And please uh, leave me some feedback, as I said earlier during the show. And, and you know, I, I appreciate if uh, any of you want to come into the show, feel free to send me an email to alonsojosorio at yahoo.com, A-L-O-N-S-O-J-O-S-O-R-I-O at yahoo.com or info at osoriomd.com. Well, thank you again, guys, and stay in touch, and happy, happy 2021. We're getting close to the end, and I hope you are having fun and staying coronavirus-free. God bless you all. Stay in touch. Stay in touch.